Well, as I said, my sermon this morning is going to be a little bit different than most of my Mother's Day sermons, but I hope it's a blessing and an encouragement. You know, we love celebrating Mother's Day, but for some women, it's not the greatest day of the year. Matter of fact, it can be a very very difficult time. I don't know if there's anything you can do about it, but it's just like last week up here. Um, There are some ladies here who are probably mothers-in-waiting, been trying to become pregnant, can't do it, hasn't happened. There are probably some mothers here who haven't had miscarriages and lost children. There are some people here who have lost mothers or other children. And a day like Mother's Day can be very difficult for them. Sometimes it's difficult to celebrate when you're in the midst of grieving, in the midst of loss. And sometimes in our lives, being this ideal mother doesn't look like reality to some of us. You know, with Mother's Day, these first, first two weekends in May, you kind of go into the stores and you see all these, all these Mother's Day cards with, and, and I like them, don't get me wrong, but kind of some of them are a little bit sappy, just a little bit sappy. And then, you know, I preached about the Proverbs 31 woman. How many are familiar with the Proverbs 31 William, woman? Man, am I glad Proverbs didn't go on to chapter 32 about a man. Because that that Proverbs 31 woman sets the bar unbelievably high. She gets up early and she stays up late. She somehow manages to balance self-care, being a mother, being a wife, and being a businesswoman. That's a pretty high bar. And sometimes I would guess, if I was a lady and was looking at all of these things, I might sometimes wonder, God, that's... Not me. Am I a failure? Am I not doing it good enough? Am I not doing it well enough? And in our culture, it can be easy to feel like we're not measuring up to somebody's standard. Sometimes it's our own standard. Because it's a tough job being a mother. Tough job taking care of all the responsibilities. And when it comes right down to it, the reality that a lot of us live in doesn't look like a Proverbs 31 woman. It doesn't look like some of those words and all those beautiful cards. And we need to give him those beautiful cards, and we need to say those sappy things, and hopefully they're true in our lives. But man alive, the last thing we ever want to have happen is undue pressure. Some idea that you're not good enough, you're not measuring up, what you're doing isn't quite perfect. Well, the bottom line is no one's perfect. No one is perfect. No one should have expectations of perfection, especially of your own self. God certainly doesn't have expectations of perfection. You know, how does God see women that don't have everything perfectly figured out? What is God's heart towards women, mothers, who are praying for children who, for whatever reason, have strayed from the Lord? And we would maybe use the word prodigals. How does the Lord, does he hear the prayers of those women 
who are struggling and wrestling with different things in their lives and things aren't going the way that they, they hoped or dreamed or, frankly, the way the world would expect them to go in our houses and in our homes and our families. How does the Lord? Well, the good news is the answer to that is simple. And I can be very certain of the answer to that is he loves you. He loves you. No matter what, he loves you and desires to be with you He looks at you and sees his daughters doing the very best they can. And sometimes under the most difficult of circumstances. And when we look at the Bible, it should be an encouragement to us to look at the number of women in the Bible and the things that they're going through, what they're experiencing, and sometimes how long it takes for God to really seem to intervene and bless them. You know, when we look at Scripture, we find examples of mothers who are exalted. You know, think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Talk about being exalted. We could think of, of Timothy's mother and grandmother in Second Timothy. It, it, it refers to them as these women with the deep, sincere faith. They're encouraged. They're exalted. They're lifted up. We also find examples of mothers who really struggle. Think of Sarah, wife of Abraham, who is praying for a child, especially a son. Boy, in those days, women were looked down on in the culture. Not only looked down upon, they were often looked at as having sin in their lives if they couldn't conceive. And especially if they couldn't provide a son to carry on the family name. Sarah gets so distraught in her years of praying for this son that she gives her handmaid, her servant, to her husband and says, go lay with her and have a child. And then, of course, this maidservant, Hagar, gets pregnant and gives birth to a son, Ishmael. And it does nothing but make things worse because now Hagar turns against Sarah. And the story goes on. And this woman is approaching 90 years old, still believing, praying, seeking the Lord. Elizabeth, another one who struggled for years and years and years, and and she eventually becomes the mother of John the Baptist. But boy, the trials and the time of suffering, shame and embarrassment, because she wasn't meeting the expectations of a culture. Of the, that women were supposed to be doing and, and providing. Shame that was certainly undeserved, unwarranted. We see stories of mothers celebrating. We still see stories in the Bible of mothers grieving. We see stories of mothers in the Bible doing whatever it took for their children to survive. Most of us are familiar with the story of Moses. Can you imagine being the mother of Moses? You have this son, this beautiful baby child, and there's an evil pharaoh who has made an edict that all of these sons, these babies, are supposed to be killed. She did whatever it took to save her child. Then there is also the example of a woman you may not be familiar with. The woman, she's simply referred to as the woman of Zarephath. She was a lady who had a boy, had a son. Times were tough, famine in the land. 
The Bible tells a story where she's down to her last bit of oil and her last bit of flour, and she's purposed in her heart that she's going to make bread one last time, and her and her son are going to eat it and die. And then here comes Elijah, and he says, make me something to eat. And she did. And there's a story about what took place after that. It's an amazing thing. But she had to go through these challenges and remain faithful to God. I'm going to look for just a few minutes this morning at two other women in the Bible. One is found in the book of Ruth. Her name is Naomi. And there is also one found in the first book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at these two just to see what is it that God would maybe want us to take from these stories. And I think it's more than just to hear these stories about difficult times and encourage us to avoid difficult times and prepare for the disasters that are coming. I think there's much more to it than that. The book of Ruth in chapter 1, it opens up with a story about a family in crisis. Naomi and her husband and two sons, and they live in the region of Bethlehem. And there's a famine in the land, a severe famine. And they uproot themselves from their home territory, the people they know, the family they know, and they move to Moab amongst the pagan Moabites. Naomi has to leave everything that's familiar to her. She has to leave her home, her family, her relatives. She has to leave any relationships that meant anything to her to go with her husband and their two sons. And what happens, it just gets worse. Her husband named Elimelech and her two sons die. And before her sons passed away, they both married Moabite women. But then they died. So now we've got Naomi and two other widows with no man. And in that culture, there was no one to take care of them. Where was their God? Where was God in this? And her grief just kept getting worse in those 10 years. Both boys die. And we see in chapter 2 of Ruth, we find them, Naomi and Ruth. And there's a process of the story I hope you read. But they find themselves back in the region of Bethlehem because they heard there was food there. And they find themselves with Ruth out in a field that doesn't belong to them, picking up grain that was left behind by those that harvested it. Where was the Lord in all of that? This woman of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's the story of Hannah. Another story where a woman appeared to have been a failure in the eyes of the culture, in the eyes of society. She hadn't conceived a child, hadn't produced a son. And she was one of two wives. The story just gets worse for this poor woman. Her husband, Elkanah, has two wives. And one of the other wives, his other wife, I should say, Peninnah, gets pregnant as a child. It wasn't bad enough for poor Hannah being barren. It even says her womb was closed by the Lord. Now the other wife has a child and rubs her nose in it 
continually. Hannah, who you would like to think would have maybe had some, gotten some understanding from the other wife, someone who should understand Hannah's inner pain and not being able to have a child, conceive and have a child. But that wasn't the case at all. The other wife continually rubbed her nose in it, continually pointed out that she was barren and that she had provided the son. And then we see her husband. I'm going to read a scripture. He reminded me of some of the stupid things I say. Cindy probably could attest to that. In 1 Samuel 1, I believe it's in verse 6 or 7, her husband, the great encourager that he was, says, hey, this is the Mike paraphrase. My wife's the luckiest woman on earth because she's married to me. You ever heard that before? He said it a little differently, but he says, I'm better than 10 sons. What are you pouting about? Get over it. Thanks, husband. And if that wasn't bad enough, every year when they would go to the temple to worship, they get there and Hannah is at the temple gate, the door, pouring out her heart to God. The scripture says she's pouring out her heart to God, sharing her pain and her suffering and her grief with the Lord. And she's praying from her heart, the depths of her heart. And her lips are moving. But she's praying really in silence. And here's the priest who looks at her and says, Woman, what's wrong with you? You're drunk. You need to give up the beer and wine and lead a more pure life. Someone who should have understood the other wife someone who should really have been an encourager, her husband, and then the priest, for goodness sakes, throws it all in her face, and she's none of those things. I really believe in sharing these stories. God doesn't want to just give us examples of mistakes to avoid or disasters that are coming our way. I think he uses these stories to show that he truly cares for mothers because I only gave you parts of the stories. The stories come with a different ending than where we left them. And I think he does this to show us women, mothers, no matter how frantic or troubled or embittered or desperate things seem, God loves you. He loves you as his daughters, no matter what. God's care was demonstrated in both the life of Naomi and in the life of Hannah. We read as we go a little bit further in Ruth, the book of Ruth, the daughter-in-law who stuck with Naomi. Naomi's trying to push her away, tell her to go live with your family. I've got nothing to offer you. I have no more sons for you to marry. You need to go. And in the midst of her telling Naomi, I'm not going anywhere, she says, and your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth had seen something in the life of Naomi in the midst of all of this grief, the death of her husband, the death of her two sons, 
not having anybody to provide for her anymore. She had seen a faithfulness to God that was so attractive to her that Ruth declares, your God is my God. And not only does it end there, this land that didn't belong to them, it turns out that land is owned by a distant relative named Boaz. And not only does Boaz allow them to have more grain, Boaz and Ruth get married. And not only do they get married, out of their lineage comes King David. They are the great-grandparents of King David. And, of course, you probably know it doesn't stop there. Because of that, they are in the lineage of Jesus Christ, this barren woman in the lineage of our Savior. Hannah's story didn't end with the priest accusing of her being drunk. She explains to him, I'm crying out, and tells him what's going on. And he says, may it be done unto you as you prayed. And she conceives a son. And that son's name is Samuel. And she had dedicated the Lord. She had told the Lord in her prayers, if I have a son, I will give him back to you. By the time the boy is about three years old, she takes her son to the temple and her trust is so great in God, so great in God, even though all she went through, she dedicates and leaves her son, her little boy, at the temple. And Samuel wasn't just a good little boy. Samuel grew up to be one of the greatest prophets in all of the Old Testament. These two women who at many different times in their lives could have said, God, where are you? I'm a failure. The shame they might have had to carry, especially because of their culture. And God's blessing them for their faithfulness. What can we learn and maybe apply in our own lives? I want to share a couple thoughts. I think the Lord, by showing us his love and care for these struggling women, is kind of giving us an unspoken invitation to step up. And bless struggling women, struggling mothers, mothers in waiting, mothers whose days have passed of having the opportunity to bear a child, women who are still waiting for God to bring that right man across their paths so that they can maybe have a family. How can we step up? Well, I want to address three things from three groups of people. First of all, us guys. Husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. How do we demonstrate that love? It's great to say something like that, and words are, words are important. They can be very encouraging. But it's much better when our love for our wives is demonstrated with an action. Think about Christ. He could have just said, yeah, I love everybody. I'll try to make a way for all of you. I'll pray for you. See you later. His actions, he went to the cross, sacrificed his life, paid a price we could never pay, ascended to heaven, had the Father send the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. God loves his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Honor them. How can we better honor them? Look for ways that you see our wives struggling. 
in balancing life, balancing motherhood if there's children in the home, balancing all of the things that they're juggling. Last night, (laughs) we got home a little late, and I was tired and my foot hurt, so I was going to use that for an excuse to go in and sit down in the front of the TV. I got in there, and I even got the TV turned on. Then it was like the Lord reminding me what my message was about. I said, honey, what are you doing? She says, look at this kitchen. No, I don't want to look at the kitchen. (laughs) The sink is full of dishes, and most of which were mine. So I had to get up. and No, I didn't even get up first. I was hoping she'd say, that's okay, honey. (laughs) I said, anything I could help with? Yes. So I got up and went out, did the dishes, helped clean up. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's a pest. (laughs) But look for ways that we can help. They're juggling a lot of things, doing a lot of work. We need to encourage them sometimes to, to pursue some of the things that we know they enjoy. But it might cost us something for them to go pursue those things that they enjoy. They need to be able to pursue some things to to just get themselves away, get refreshed, get their mind off of things, take care of some things that would maybe fall into that category of just self-care. We can do that. And probably most importantly, guys, Jesus prayed for his church a lot. We need to pray for our wives a lot. We need to be praying for them. And if you don't know where to start, start with just saying thank you a lot. But I would encourage you to consider praying for your wives, the women in our lives, that they would truly know who they are in Christ. That they are loved unconditionally. Perfection's not required. Pray that they would understand the unconditional love of Jesus. Know how important they are in his sight. Let them see by the way we live our lives and the way we treat them that we consider them Christ's daughter. That's who we've been given to bring the very best out of. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Kids, teenagers, wake up there back there in the back. Get his attention. They're not even hearing me wake him up. There you go. Good. Children, sorry guys, well not really, children honor your father and your mother. In Ephesians it starts out with verse 1 saying, children obey your parents, and then it goes on and says, honor your father and your mother, and then there's a blessing and a promise that goes along with that. Kids, how can you honor That's for the kids. Thank you, Lord. And Ethan. (laughs) People online are wondering, what's he talking about? If we need an example for us teenagers, children, and you look at your mom and dad and, wait a minute, they're not that perfect. You're right. 
But consider Jesus once. Here he is, God in the flesh. I think he was probably a pretty good kid. He probably had some wisdom and understanding beyond his parents at a very young age. But yet Jesus chose to honor his earthly father and mother, to put his trust in them, to obey them. If Jesus thought that was that important, it's probably important for us kids, youngsters, no matter how old we get to be when we still have mothers, to honor our fathers and mothers. How can you do that? This is a rhetorical question for this morning. Guys, gals, teenagers, how can you honor your mothers today? And not just today, every day. Give it some thought. They will be blessed, I guarantee it. And lastly, the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ has this awesome privilege and responsibility to encourage support, and strengthen the women in our church. There are so many scriptures. I just picked a few. I maybe won't read all of them. They're even on the screen. But First Peter 4, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What gifts have God given you that you can actually use on those closest to you, you those that live in your own home with you, your mothers, your wives? Galatians 6.10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hebrews 13.16, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Romans 12.13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. If you're aware of a mother or a mother-in-waiting as the church now, I'm talking to us as a church a group, is the family of Christ. If we're aware of these things and we see that there are needs in these women in our lives, it's nice to encourage them with words. Absolutely. God, you can't do that too much as long as you're sincere. And it's nice to say things like, I'm going to pray for you because that's critical. But how about we take action when we see a need I, I know most of us probably experience like something like this. You see a need, and you go up to that lady, and you say, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help? And what do I get in response generally? Oh, no, everything's okay. It'll be fine. Now, I just saw something that made me ask that question. Why don't I just forget that step in the middle of asking the question and just go do what you see needs to be done? To help them out. You know, once a church becomes known as that kind of caring, compassionate church who will help those in need, other people will be drawn to that church. They will feel safe and secure enough to share their needs, their hurts, and that will give us an opportunity as the body of Christ to share the good news of the gospel with more and more people. I believe the church has an awesome opportunity and responsibility. Motherhood is not a road that's supposed to be walked alone. 
Guys, we need to first of all get that. Guys, they need our help. They need our participation. A little sidebar pet peeve. When I hear men say, I can't do that because I got to babysit today. Babysit? Aren't you the father? Aren't you going to parent today? What would you and I do if your wives, the mothers, came out and said, I got to babysit the kids today? I'm not sure I've ever heard a woman say that. I've heard an awful lot of us say that, meaning men. Husbands, children, friends, church, all of us have this privilege to do the things that we can do to encourage them, lift up. So moms, I hope you're feeling honored today. I know it was a different message, but I just know through all of the ministry that takes place, how many of our ladies struggle with not feeling like they're good enough. They're not perfect enough. They could do it so much better. None of us are perfect, and all of us could do anything better. The reality is you're loved by God, you're loved by us, and the church, we need to make sure we let them know that and let them see that. Motherhood is a 24-7, 365-day job. It doesn't have many breaks built in unless we intentionally participate and provide some of those breaks. I've said this about three or four times already, but I'm going to say it once more. Nobody's perfect and nobody expects you to be. Especially the Lord. God loves you and we love you. So happy Mother's Day. Let's close in prayer. What I would ask us to do, I would like to have all the women stand up. Young women, ladies, if you're in here, all of you stand up, whether you're married or not married, whether you have kids or don't have kids, you are a blessing. Shauna, stand up. You're really a blessing, too. So, All right. And if you're nearby them, you don't have to necessarily put your hand on their shoulder, but I just encourage you to focus on one of the ladies standing near you as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these women. Father, I thank you for each and every one of them. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit they sense and know how much you love them and how much you understand that the job that you've given them is a hard job. It's a difficult job. But you're with them, always with them. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of these, the youngest to the oldest. Bless them with an understanding and even a real sense of your presence in their life. God, encourage them by your spirit in ways that we cannot. But Lord, we give you thanks for the way these women have ministered, whether it's their own children, to other people's children, to grandchildren, to maybe to neighbors and neighbors' kids. Maybe it's in our Sunday school programs and the Iwana programs, Lord, that these women have worked diligently to train up children, many not even their own. God, and we rejoice and give you thanks for them. We have a special group of ladies, and we are so blessed and thankful. So bless them this day. Motivate some of us guys to even do the dinner dishes. In Jesus' name, amen.